Mike Walsh, and you're listening to Between Worlds, the show that takes you over the horizon and beyond borders to bring you the global thinkers, innovators, and troublemakers whose ideas challenge the world as we know it. I'm hanging out with Garrett Lord in Las Vegas of all places. He's the co-founder and CEO of Handshake, which is a, one of the world's fastest growing edtech businesses. Uh, he's got many other cool titles to his name. He used to work at Palantir, the data company. Uh, probably more impressive, he was uh, voted in the Forbes 30 Under 30. Are yeah. you still under 30? Yes, I am. Yeah. How, how much longer do you get to stay there for? Three more years, yeah. Well, that, that is very impressive. Yeah. Um, it's not so fun when they say the top 40 under 40. Yeah. It, gets, it gets progressively less interesting as these lists go. Um, but it's really good to finally meet you. Uh, you of course, uh, for those of you who are savvy and in the know, Handshake is one of the portfolio companies in Spark Capital. And you probably would remember the wonderful podcast we did with Jeremy Phillips uh, a number of weeks ago. But this uh, today is your story. So, so tell me a little bit. Um, you know, universities are have been such incredible incubators for some of the world's biggest digital ideas. And it was interesting, when I looked at Handshake, I actually saw some visual aesthetic similarities to early Facebook (laughs) (laughs) interface and logo. So I kind of feel like there's this this sort of kinship there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, How how did the idea come about and why did you feel that education was the place you wanted to take a swing? Uh, Absolutely, that's a great question. I I think for us, uh, the problem really stemmed for Handshake out of a personal pain we faced as founders. So uh, kind of the full story is we were students at a school called Michigan Tech in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. For those of you that don't might, might not know, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan is actually, you know, it's eight hours away from Detroit, six hours away from Chicago. So it's a pretty remote part of the country. And right. uh, it's a pretty uh, awesome engineering school with lots of computer science and engineers. But because it's so geographically, uh, f- you know, far away, few employers are able to, few really cool companies are able to make it up there. And so as founders, we really, and uh, going through school, really wanted to work at some of these cutting, bleeding edge companies, but really struggled to understand, number one, how to get access to those companies, and number two, what's even the path to, to, to demonstrating your potential and to even breaking into those companies? So, Because Google wouldn't regularly schedule a job fair. Right? A- absolutely not, yeah. Tech, if you right? wanted to work at Ford Motor <laughs> Company, there was plenty of opportunities, but uh, we're, we're thinking about, you know, Palantir, so uh, I, I ended up doing an internship at Los Alamos National Laboratories and really learning about this wild world of Silicon Valley. So I, my, my second summer, um, I worked out in, in Palo Alto at Palantir and really started to put together just the unfairness around the socioeconomic status of your family and the regional proximity of your university that really uh, were so co- crucial in these kind of post-secondary outcomes and, and, and making right. your way into a new job. And so as we started to put together Came back, came back to Michigan Tech and started referring all of my friends to some of the Silicon Valley tech companies. Um, and I made $60,000 off referral bonuses, referring my friends to Palantir and to Dropbox and to Facebook. Uh, and you know, it, was, it was at the cusp of, you know, it was completely changing <laughs> my friends' lives. And, and so these companies were start, starting to see you as sort of the graduate whisperer. Exactly, <laughs> they pay these referral bonuses because they're, they're trying to find talent. And um, so I was, at the, you know, help, helping kind of transform my friends' lives and finding their way into a career they found a ton of meaning in and were super excited about. But at the same time, I also started to understand the problem that these these employers faced at recruiting across many campuses. Um, and the employers and, and universities, you know, historically they were very separated and isolated. Recruiting at scale or trying to find students at a lot of universities 
was a very ch challenging problem. So employers would maybe choose five or 10 or 15 campuses to recruit at. And so we really set off to say, well, could we democratize access to two internships and two jobs, and not only democratize access, but help students really kind of demystify their way into a career? Um, and that led us to Handshake. We started working, sort of driving on a career fair, sneaking into different universities' career fairs, uh, talking to employers and talking to students, talking to university administrators, started to put together the, the pieces of how valuable it would be to build a network that united universities across the country into one common portal that employers could come to and students could come to to connect. Because the irony being that on, on the other hand employers were becoming increasingly conscious of diversity and of the need of to hire people from different backgrounds. Exactly. But the actual I guess the source from which they were taking was still very narrow. Yes, absolutely. The the barrier to entry of coming on campus, if you think about the traditional exercise on oh, that most college recruiters do today, it's I fly six engineers to a career fair, I sit at a career fair booth, and I hope the right kid walks to my booth. And yeah. so it's very much a consumer brand and marketing exercise. Uh, or, or you do the scorched earth thing and, and do what Uber did at Carnegie Mellon and walk in with a checkbook and just buy the whole department. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but but so, that's very expensive as well. Uh, absolutely. And so, uh, you know, as you you talk about companies they're trying to find intellectual diverse talent you know racial diversity different they're, 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 you know it's, it's really proven that building a company with a diverse set of talent allows you to innovate faster and produce better business results right. and so uh, with um, yeah that's kind of as we think about how we want to disrupt or, or, or help companies more accurately find identify the right sets of talent it we really believe that kind of talent is evenly distributed and opportunity isn't um, and as you think about a college student problem there's a really a lot of information asymmetry a college student doesn't has never heard of new core steel right and when they go to visit new core steel's website it's like we're a multinational steel holding company it's like what is, what does that? How do? What does it mean to be an intern? Like, yeah. what does it mean to be a full-time employee? Right? Like, I don't have any friends that worked at Nucor Steel. Like, do they hire sophomores? Do they hire metallurgical engineers? Like, so there's a lot of mystery that lives on small niche groups on campus, on Facebook Messenger, or between, you know, the, for, the older fraternity brother. That's the, like, sort of the secret knowledge. Exactly. And we think about our brand. What we're trying to accomplish is not only disrupting that, you know, access to opportunities, but mm. we think about brand is like we want to be that upperclassman who's kind of like got things figured out. He'll being explain it to the younger students. It, it, it's interesting to think about this idea of the, of the, of the careers and, and of employer brands because I, I remember when I was going through. I mean, people sort of aspired to get a job in an investment bank or a management consulting firm, not because they were inherently cool jobs, but because I think they actually just did such a professional job of really nailing presenting their brand on campus. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I, I remember asking someone, you know, I. I I, you know, I, I enrolled in a in a law and accounting degree, and I said to someone, "What's the hardest job to get?" They said, "A job at McKinsey." Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so that's what I did, you know, yeah. just because it, it seemed difficult, and you're kind of very challenge oriented when you're at university. Absolutely, the the, the brand building. Think about like uh, there's a funny advertisement that GE does. It's a TV advert where they that the 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 son walks in to tell his father that he got a job at General Electric, and uh, the dad walks down to the basement, grabs a shovel, and comes back in the room and was like, "Son, you know." You're gonna go work in the mines, at, you know, General Electric, and the son's trying to explain to his dad, like, General Electric's a digital company, right? So these huge companies struggle to tell their story of their brand, and you know, you think about Domino's Pizza, they consider themselves a technology company. Most of their innovations coming across mobile applications and their delivery infrastructure, like a lot, a lot of their advertisements, been growing on social media. So these. Well, companies today are really having to become technology companies, and yeah. it's hard to 
tell uh, a rising senior at Michigan Tech that you're doing innovative Objective-C or Swift development for mobile apps without effectively branding yourself. So absolutely, I think um, additionally, you know, you think about nonprofits, smaller startups, I mean, most students haven't heard of a 15-person startup in Silicon Valley. It doesn't mean they, they don't think the problems are really interesting or they wouldn't find their skills that's a perfect fit for that company, but you know, how does that company reach out to that student and connect? So, uh, so, so there's certainly a, a piece around this, which, which I guess was what you started to do, which was democratizing access. But once you started adding data in, it started to look more like Moneyball. Yeah. Um, because uh, you know, one of the big issues that you know, companies face is how do you know what is a good hire and how do you track back to the kind of person and their source of where they came from? Absolutely. And, and some companies are very sophisticated, like Google. You know, their people operations, they put a lot of effort to try and analyze the DNA of what a successful employer is. Yeah. But you, on your side, are you starting to gather more data which employers are using to try and understand success? Oh, great question. Uh, so I think uh, t- today, if you look at some of the top employers, they're, they're doing incredible things like Google is, where they're taking into account in, in kind of complex data science teams, what college does student come from? What organization, they actually parse the resumes. So what student organizations, what majors, what GPAs, sometimes they'll even import their academic transcripts. And then that all flows into then a model around their HCM or their human capital management system or prior performance metrics. Right. So being able to say, where do my top, where, basic top line metrics are like, where are, where are students, who's, what students are staying longest, right? What's your cost per hire if the student leaves in one year, right? A lot of the banking firms like their 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 kind of fundamental hiring model of you hire students and they retain over like it's breaking people go to work at Goldman for a year and then they leave mm. and so a lot of the companies are figuring out how do I actually uh, find a student that's interested and passionate in my mission and will stay a long time through my leadership development program and and you know become a leader in my company but then additionally who's getting promoted fast fastest what are their performance metrics rankings who's most willing some companies are even going along the lines of like uh, a lot of my talent I want to really Locate. So what students, what, what colleges are students coming from that are more open to relocation? So they, right. they model all these students against these facets. And then they then try to back that into their college recruiting strategy. Like where a good example of this is like, uh, you know, Relate IQ, which is now owned by Salesforce. If they go to Stanford or Berkeley, it's kind of like, oh, that's work for Salesforce, maybe a little bit slower moving. Stanford kids don't think it's nearly as cool. What Relate IQ goes to University of Michigan, they're like the Silicon Valley amazing company that all the students think is so cool and want to work for. So that all these arbitrage opportunities where your section of the talent population of a particular campus, you might be able to outpace a competitor. And so analytics, both on the acquisition side and on the retention side, uh, can help you know help you build a more effective strategy, especially when you're a big company spending you know tens of millions of dollars doing this at scale. But I think for Handshake, what we're really trying to do is level the level the playing field of some of this technology to you know help bring the level of sophistication and analytics that like say Google's HR team is for you know every every company. Right. Uh, so so every company should be able to run an algorithm on on where their best people come from. Yeah, I mean for Handshake today we don't we don't back it into the pri- like what you're doing at work. We merely are helping you understand I mean today our vi- our vision is really around helping you understand at the campus that you're at where, where should you be best spending your time? How is your brand trending in comparison to other industry indexes? Uh, A good example of this is uh, maybe like Box Group. Uh, So students today on Handshake, they have, which is a big, big innovation in the space is they have profiles. So students are building profiles at the, at most of our campuses we have like more profiles than, than LinkedIn does. Right. And the students are building profiles across, we're, we, we build a profile where the, you know, 
where, where it's really friendly to like a student, like what projects are you working on? You know, what are your courses that you're proud of? So it's okay to put that you're a barista, right? So we're help. It's a really kind of inspiring, or more confidence-inducing profile creation mm. process. And then when they have a profile, what employers end up doing is searching and messaging. So a cool example of this is Box is trying to hire uh, you know black students, and and so they're looking at or diverse students, like ags or black students, and so they they click on they click on Spelman and Morehouse. And then search for students that were involved in entrepreneurial campus organizations, people that were presidents of societies, people that were, had a passion for STEM, so maybe they're in MIS or computer science or you know, technical writing, and then they searched and messaged them without ever stepping foot on campus. Right. And they hired six students with about an hour's worth of work. I mean, you. You it's just, because your, your profiles are already so semantically organized. Exactly. You know, you don't have to have some complex ingest mechanism to yeah. analyze all of these resumes. Yeah. Or if your box is directly, have to. Book a book a flight, fly out, do an info session, sit at a career fair, and a lot of the students haven't heard of Box before. You know, you you sit at a career fair and the right students might not walk up. So this allows you to, as you mentioned, brand, like send a message to them and say, hey, you know, you're this is a really cool organization. We really value entrepreneurs at Box. I'd love to talk to you about some of the cool programs we're working on. Students and millennials today are are very eager to be proactively outreached to, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to just you know, applying to jobs. They want to be engaged with different brands throughout the recruitment process. So, so where is the career services industry broken at the moment? Besides the fact that they're really just focused on these physical events, yeah. I mean, is it is it still a very paper based? analog yeah. um, industry? So the career service center space, from a goals perspective and where they want to be heading, they, they, they historically have been using, they're, they're just, the technology they've been leveraging, uh, you know, was quite frankly out of the eight, or, you know, early 90s. Like they were leveraging technology that didn't allow them to scale their operations voice on campus. And so a lot of their processes are man- run in separate Excel spreadsheets, in different event management systems, in, in systems where, I kid you not, the, the back button doesn't even properly function on the job search page. Right. Because it's such a relatively small market, there had been less technology innovation in the space. And so uh, wh- where, we, where, where we see it was really broken is in uh, the failure to be able to Accurately and you know accurately produce and understand the data that was unfolding on campus. What students are getting jobs? What students are engaged with their system? Where are students at in their career development journey? And what should I be doing to reach out to them through these different steps? Mm-hmm. A student that's maybe done three interviews but not gotten the job might need help on interview coaching. Whereas a student that's a freshman is looking for you know a resume review or uh, you know career pathways discussion. So the innovation was around reporting. Additionally, there are these applications like students are live on mobile today, like they're doing uh, job discovery, job search, they're looking at companies, and the mobile capabilities of the existing system <laughs> that they were using was, was really weak. And, mm. and thirdly, I'd say the, uh, the, the big innovation in the Handshake Park was this idea of a network. So tying all the universities together. Historically, they were like white-labeled, on-prem, separate username and password sites. So you walk in, I remember I walked into Epic Healthcare in my sophomore year of college, you know, going to ask about college recruiting. They had an Excel spreadsheet of 30 different logins with, thir- you know, it was like, probably not 30, it was like 300 because they recruited at 300 schools, 30 different logins, 30 different passwords, and they're like cross-posting in all these schools. Mm. So it's, it was impossible historically to rectify the scale into your back-end systems. And I guess once you take the horizontal view, I mean, sure, it's great you've gone to MIT, but yeah. if you've done these particular activities and studied and, and were particularly talented at these particular subjects, that actually may give you a higher score for a potential employer than than sort of a name brand university. Exactly. Well, a lot of the employers are saying that the top 10% of all these schools is very similar. And how do I, you know, Goldman Sachs this year, they stopped coming on campuses. They stopped going to career fairs, they're doing campus interviews. Yeah. They actually said, because the CEO's from Rutgers, and they're like, you know, 
screw it. We're, we're done with our physical on-campus recruiting. We're going to do everything virtually. We're going to build our brand at scale across all these different campuses, and we're going to find a more intellectually diverse set of students that want to work Goldman Sachs and are the top percent of their students. Uh, and we're not going to put memes on the, the private yeah. Facebook groups for Harvard. <laughs> yeah, so true. <laughs> so true. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, the, this, this idea of... Uh, in higher education right now, there's there's a lot of innovation across a lot of different a lot of different areas. You know, coming back to this idea of the career, I, I remember when I was finishing school, I went to see my career advisor, and it was like going to see a tarot reader. I mean, you know, she pulled out all of these colored charts, and she consulted these books, and looked at me intently, and said that she thought that my destiny was to be an auditor. Wow. Which is actually, you know, part of the insane reason why I ended up studying accounting, which is the biggest waste of, you know, <laughs> six years of my life. But, but you know, uh, uh, the, the interesting thing about once you take a more data-driven approach and you can start to look at machine learning, at the paths that students have taken and yeah. which careers have ended up in, you can start to potentially have a more fluid idea of what a job is yeah. and, and the path that people can take. Exactly. I mean, how do you see... You know, how do you see machine learning and data and and more fluid careers sort of all coming together in the next few years? Great, great. Uh, I really think about it as, and you nailed it, is, is the students today aren't learning enough from each other in peer-to-peer learning. They're not, they're not looking at, example slice of a question that a student would love to ask is, Boy, I'm a history major. Like, does that mean I can't get a job? Because all my all my friends are studying econ. I want to work in the banks. Like, they don't they, they don't have any slice longitudinally of the different pathways that other students have unfolded. Right. And nor do they have the ability to understand like what what what's happening at other campuses. Where did people you know say I want to find a job at a small niche nonprofit? Who's even who's going to work there before? So I think first and foremost, like opening up this network to help students understand what other peers are doing. We're just now doing this where we have campus profiles. Students yeah. can choose to be public, and then they can see each other's profiles. And so so, so it's, it's a more inclusive version of the alumni network. Exactly. It's a very similar slice as like, a, as like a LinkedIn, where I can click on a company and see the pathways, but now I can back into what courses, what projects, what majors, what were the average GPA? How much did people end up working, how making that particular company? Did they do an interview on campus? Did they meet them at the career fair? I mean, I'm now able to help make decisions where I don't have like two or three data points. But so, I, so students themselves have access to that pathway data? Yes, yeah, that's what we're releasing this, this year with public profiles for right. students. And so that's huge. Like as a computer science student at Michigan Tech, like I, I wanna know, I wanna work at these five companies. What do I have to do to get there? What's even the path forward? Because you know, you know, a lot of times these students, it's the success is largely driven by your family network associated with my status or status of the university. And so my dad was at construction work, my mom was a secretary. I was the first person to ever think about computer science. Mm-hmm. And so being able to, you know, see what other computer science had done and set a path forward for myself was was vital, the peer-to-peer learning. And then additionally I think one other huge thing is around discovery. Like the the job search process should really evolve or or, or, or model more of a uh, if you use like Spotify's Discover Weekly, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's like an awesome. Are you a big fan? Um, yeah. I, I, I... I actually like Tidal. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, but that's because I'm a snob about music quality. Yeah. <laughs> but but I, I know what you're talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. And as Spotify Discover Weekly is really taking into account if I'm listening to these couple artists, uh, what are, and people that are listening to these couple artists, like what what are what are music that I'm not listening to that's fresh? And then yeah. it's taking into account am I skipping the song? Do I listen to the whole their song? Do I add to a playlist? And that's Because you actually don't just want recommendations that are the same as what you already know. Exactly. You want the loose ties, you know, yes. the more random connections. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to inspire in the job search process. Is, 
what's trending in your major? You follow, you favorited these four companies? Oh, here are other companies that are separate. You know, try to break the mold too of, you know, as an accounting student in, a, in America, if you're at one of the big accounting schools, it's like, I gotta go work at the big four. Big four, big four, big four. Well, it's like, what about the financial analyst position at Disney? Like, maybe you have a passion for, for film and, and creative yeah. arts, right? And so opening up the eyes of students and being able to say, you know, you are qualified for this opportunity. Other students in your similar background have done these things before. That's where we really feel the, inter the interface is moving on Handshake side is, is curating jobs and companies, even content too, being able to say, oh, see, so you got an interview next week. You, you want, you want, here's some interview prep tips. Uh, you know, being able to show this all on what we, we're calling the, we have a very similar, as you said, Facebook, a lot of admiration from the company, like a newsfeed, where we're showing you as you scroll down what's trending in your organizations, people that did internships with these companies, here's what they go on to do afterwards. You know, being able to coalesce all this data that we sit at around the academic history, as well as your interests inventory, uh, into a newsfeed that helps make better career decisions. Mm. So I think about it. Uh, this is interesting that it's coming at a time when people are starting to question the idea of jobs itself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are going to be entering the workforce in a time when not only is automation and AI potentially taking over certain types of jobs, but also people are moving to the idea that you might not need a full-time job or a career. That you know, you can work as a, a potential as a freelancer or as contingent labor. Yeah. Um, so how does that sort of factor into to the idea of, you know, finishing school and, and trying to figure out what to do? Totally. I think a lot of times what higher education, you know, if you, if you reading a lot about higher education one of the, and talking to other administrators, the big thing that they're, they're talking about is this last mile of skills delivery. So higher education historically was, you know, you talk to professors or academic presidents and they're like, you know, our job at university is not to get students jobs. Our job at university is to further a student's mindset on the world and an ethical framework to make decisions and uh, uh, you know build a uh, you know build a liberal arts education. And then there's all the there's rising startups that are trying to deliver on the last mile of skills or competencies that employers can value. Yeah. And employers think about it like a like almost like a T. Like you have the breadth of skills you learn in college. Uh, across like teamwork, communication, presentation skills, uh, you know, a depth of EQ, but then also the, the 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 vertical part of the T, which is you know what are you know C plus plus or what's your skill? Are you a, you know really good with like stats, for example? Or are you a good accountant? And so um, I think universities today, and I think about hopefully Handshake playing a piece in this is helping the students understand what are the skills that I need to make it into, into this career. And number one, maybe what are courses or other students that I should you know, look up to aspirationally as, as areas that I need to fill in prior to graduation to get this job. Yeah. But then maybe in the future, Handshake might be able to say, well, here is fantastic learning curriculum that you might add and complement your, your four-year education well, with. Well, this, this sort of does beg the question of why do you even need the physical university at all? Yeah. I mean, if you've got a really good adaptive learning algorithm, which can sort of mix and match online courses from different parts and providers of the world, and you've got some ideas of the different pathways people take, what is the value of a university? Yeah, I think the value of a university, I mean, I look back on my time, and a lot of times the, the, the question I would, I would ask, you know, people that have been to universities, would you, would you, would you attend university all over again? Would you, would you make that, would you go through that experience? Would you send your child through that experience? I think the answer for me today is I grew so much as an individual and learned uh, and was able to reflect on on, on, on an environment that was really safe time to kind of come to age of the, to become the professional. I am right, today. so it's not just a pure skills transfer. Exactly, and right. I think if you look at higher education, it's just a pure. Uh, we're just 
prepping students for the job economy. Uh, absolutely, that's one component that higher education is, is rapidly getting better at and needs to innovate faster on. And quite frankly, some universities will fail. You're seeing that happening today in the United yeah. States. But the, uh, m the most, by and large, of the top universities in the United States are are, are incredibly successful at helping enrich a student's you know, mindset and preparedness for the workplace. Um, and employers really value that. I think the, the main thing that's going to start to change is, and, and as you follow a lot of universities, is they're shifting their curriculum, they're shifting their four-year longitudinal planning with students into what are the competencies that I want Great. As we and, and I think what universities are really moving towards is helping uh, articulate the competencies that students are learning in college, hmm. a competencies that can be measured and, and employers are looking for. Um, and, and I think that's, that's really where, where, what a lot of the curriculum is being developed around. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you, if you think about what's changing now, that you, you have smarter and smarter machines and platforms which are able to take over the cognitive functions of a job. So, I mean, the idea that you're a lawyer or an accountant or a, a surveyor, I mean, now has to coexist with these smart systems. Yeah. So it's not the knowledge that matters anymore. It's probably the things that cannot be taught. It's that sort of the fluidity of mind, the ability to solve problems, yeah. um, the things which you were just hoping that students picked up by accident probably is where the learning needs to take place in the Absolutely. future. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I thought about my time in college and a lot of students is working on teams, collaborating on teams, the communication skills. Necessary. You like that? I think I hated the team project yeah. the most. Because I, 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 <laughs> it always yeah. ended up like Lord of the Flies. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> in some of these projects, it was just easier to get it done yourself than it was to work with the team. But yeah, see, yeah. now that's very telling. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it actually leads me to my, to my, you know, the final thing I want to talk to you about is that you know, one of the exciting things about what you've done, you know, with this business and and, and, you've and your startup is you've actually treading an increasingly unusual path. I mean, most people, most young people, when they're going through university, are really trying to get a prestigious job, yeah. and they want to work. They want to make lots of money um, by joining a big company that goes public or is recently public, but they don't often take the risk of doing something themselves. So, how were you able to do it, and how were you able to motivate the people around you who, you know? might have considered taking a job at a big organization. Yeah, I think early on in Handshake's journey, it was it was really about, everybody identified this as a huge problem at our college. So the original four, original kind of eight or nine people on Handshake were all close personal friends of mine. Right. Who I... And they're still in the organization. And they're still in the organization. And I think culture, uh, our, our mission as a company, we sit at such a interesting opportunity right now where, you know, you think about just the opportunity gap that exists in the United States with the recent election and just the awareness people have to how how unfair economic opportunity is in the United States, especially as you talk about jobs and the economy rapidly changing and economies being reskilled. So my, my friends had these great jobs, but uh, I think millennials, you think about what they want, is they want they want meaning in their work. They want to make an impact on, on people's lives. And it's not just about uh, you know the brand that they're working for, but how are how are they making an impact? And so my my early friends uh, were exceptional computer programmers, and uh, we had worked on side projects all through college together. And I said, you know, hey guys, like what happens if we could do what? What happens if we could try to scale the impact we had at, on our development journey, where we were able to break into these companies and see. You know, I remember the first time I went to New York and just putting together this whole bank ecosystem and technology. What else we could raise awareness and open the aperture up to help these highly motivated students navigate their way into careers that they find a lot of meaning in? And people really uh, believed in that. And it was really hard early on. You know, 
you feel like you know Paul Graham talks about being like relentlessly resourceful and just like mm. you know never 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 giving up and constantly pushing forward and you know so a lot of highs and lows but one thing we always stayed true to and and kept us motivated was all these small success stories we heard from students and from employers and from universities talking about how big of an impact we could have if this network really ended up did playing out. Um, and now we, you know, I just saw a stat today, we're at our users conference and there's you know, three, 350 students that we're surveying per day for product feedback. And the stories we hear back about students finding, you know, SpaceX recruiting at Michigan State University or six, you know, uh, you know underrepresented minorities at, at Morehouse getting an opportunity in Silicon Valley they never would have seen before, that's what uh, our group of a relatively younger, you know, company just thrives on, are, are those, is the mission. Um, and so I think, um, yeah, that, that, that's how I was involved with the early team. Now it's really, uh, you know, company is at 80 people scaling quite quickly and there's just uh, people get excited not only about the mission anymore, but also the genuine business opportunity that we have and the ability to be pushed in a startup beyond what you typically would if you were an early public company. You generally wouldn't have as much creative freedom, be operating in such an ambiguous environment, be so in control of the decision making, and, and such have, so, you know, I think about it as like delta of growth over time. What, what became harder when you became 50 people, or 80 people rather than eight? Oh, communication. I mean, I think, and when you're all sitting in a room when it was 15 people, everybody kind of knew the right Everybody knew each other and the different imbalances and the goals, and it was super clear what you should be executing on. Um, and then, as you add, and we added 35 people in the last three months, it's like, uh, you know, helping instill what is our communication? How how do we how do we form as a culture of a team? What are the goals of the company? What it what is, what is what does success look like? How do you, how do you make how do we make decisions? Right, like all those things start to become uh, things you have to just repeat on, like just like replay over and over and over and over again to help ingrain in the new team members. So I'd say that the hardest thing for me as a leader has been growing and scaling up my communication across the whole entire team, and also enabling the decision making at the fringes. Like if you block on decision making, you try to become more hierarchical, then your your operational tempo slows down you know, dramatically. So. Uh, that's something that's top of mind for me this, this last couple weeks. Well, Garrett, it's been wonderful uh, meeting you and hearing yeah. your inspiring story. Thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Mike. You've been listening to Between Worlds. For more episodes and information on how to subscribe to our podcast, please visit www.mike-walsh.com slash betweenworlds.